Welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos. In this episode of Banking Transform, we delve into the world of generative AI and ChatGPT with Ron Shevlin, the Chief Research Officer at Cornerstone Advisors. As data continues to be the cornerstone of all AI applications, we explore the potential of generative AI in financial services, as well as the practical realities and limitations financial institutions need to consider. Moreover, we touch on the competitive and regulatory landscape and how financial leaders can navigate it when adopting generative AI solutions. In the crystal ball segment of our discussion, Ron shares his vision for the future of generative AI in the financial sector and provides valuable insights into what financial leaders must do today to prepare for an AI-powered future. While there's tremendous promise with generative AI solutions, there's also the need for responsible deployment of all AI solutions in banking. In this episode, we'll discuss the nuances to the hype while also affirming generative AI's disruptive potential if leveraged thoughtfully over time. So Ron, you know, we, we've been together a couple of times in the last few months and you've been talking quite a bit about AI and generative AI. And, and I realize that the vast majority of our listeners already know you. But for those who may be unfamiliar, could you share a bit about your background as well as a little bit about Cornerstone Advisors? Absolutely. Um, I am Chief Research Officer at Cornerstone. Cornerstone is a consulting firm that serves the mid-sized bank and credit union market, doing a lot of strategic planning, technology, payments, and performance improvement work. Having said all that, I don't actually do any of that. I came on board to start a research practice, so I'm generally uh, developing a lot of content and um, write a blog on Forbes called the FinTech Snark Tank, and I've basically been in the analyst world now for 26 years, starting at Forrester and then ITA Group and now with Cornerstone. Thanks. And, you know, it's interesting. I was out of town and couldn't make Money 2020 this year, but you just got back from Money 2020 in Vegas. And I would believe that there were there weren't any conversations on the event floor or in, during any of the sessions that did not reference ChatGPT, Generative AI, or other AI solutions. So what were some of the key themes you heard around these subject matters? Uh, geez, well, you're right. And, and it is kind of consuming every conversation. And that's actually good and bad in some ways. I think it's good because it shows a level of awareness for, for the tools and, and the promise of them. But on the downside, Jim, it's the, the conversation's getting very muddy. It just seems like the terms generative AI, AI in general, are not being used specifically enough to get at the various nuances and differences in the types of technology. And that's that's kind of bad. The other, I think, challenging part from an industry perspective is that with no offense to all the technology vendors out there, simply claiming to be integrating AI into your products and solutions doesn't, doesn't really kind of cut it anymore because it's not really clear exactly what they're kind of doing. The other point I'd make, and I think this is a good good sign, and I've been kind of, this is a cornerstone, no pun intended, to, to the presentations that I've been given at conferences, is that they're, at, at the individual level, I hear from a lot of executives that um, their people are coming to them and saying, hey, you know, are, are we going to see layoffs because of AI? And I think there's a growing level of awareness 
that the real impact, at least in the short term, and the short term being five, seven years, you know, throughout the rest of this decade, is that the real impact of a lot of these tools and technologies is really more about productivity improvement and creativity enhancement, for that matter, than it is job loss. I don't think we're anywhere close to being able to do mass layoffs in the industry because of these kinds of tools. Uh, but really, I think the, there's a general awareness that this is really about major productivity improvement. You know, it's interesting. You talked about the definition and gosh, if banking doesn't get involved in so many things that you try to put into a nice little package when it's not e that easy to do. Can you start with explaining a little bit about what generative AI is, how it differs from ChatGPT, how it differs from large learning models? and other AI technology in the context of financial services? Yeah, sure. So start picturing a you know decision tree, and at the very top of the tree is AI. Uh, and under that are various different types of AI technologies like conversational AI, machine learning, robotics, uh, you know, vision capabilities, things like that. Uh, generative AI is just another one of the types of AI in, the, in that row of the tree uh, where the definition, may, I don't know, there might be like a formal definition to it, but think of generative AI as AI technology that generates various types of output like text, music, code, data, synthetic data, um, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch, but think about it in terms of various types of output that it produces. Uh, and think about it differently in terms of machine learning, where the output is not necessarily a, a, a piece, is not necessarily text, although it might be in the form of text, but you're really talking more about quantitative stuff when you're thinking about machine learning. And obviously things like robotics and visioning and uh, other types of things don't have a similar type of output. Now, under the banner of generative AI would be tools like ChatGPT. So ChatGPT yep. is a, a form of generative AI, but ChatGPT itself it really only produces text. It actually integrates with other tools, often ChatGPT plugins, to, pro to produce things like music or code or art or synthetic data and so forth. Now, what forms ChatGPT uh, and products like that are things called large language models, and they're called large because they literally have billions and billions of, of in, pieces of input. And that's my best Carl Sagan impression, and I won't do any more impressions for the rest of the show. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's this tree, and, and, and what's emerging is not just ChatGPT. There are other large, it's not the only large language model out there. In fact, there are many. Um, and then you get sort of the, well, some are more specialized than others, and some of them are open source, and some of them use proprietary data as their input. Uh, Google, uh, Microsoft, a couple months ago, launched their large language model. It's called Gorilla. Facebook has their model. It's called Llama. Then there are specialized ones. Uh, uh, Bloomberg came out with one. I, I probably call Bloomberg GPT for all I, I, I know. So there's a lot of them coming out. Sales, Salesforce, I expect if the most major vendor, tech vendors don't have one out now, they'll have one out within, within, the, uh, within a year. 
you know, it, it, it's amazing to think that the birth of ChatGPT, at least in the public, is still just a little short of a year ago. So much has happened. And, and you know, Cornerstone Advisors, among other organizations, are continually looking at the app, potential applications for, you know, generative AI solutions. So what are some of the most promising potential applications for generative AI that the team at Cornerstone Advisors has had identified? And where could it possibly have the biggest impact in the short term? So it has an impact. Let's look at this from the perspective of a financial institution, Jim, if we can, from a bank or credit union is probably the easiest way to talk about it, I think. And the potential applications and use cases are actually all over throughout the organization. But where things are really going to be different is that, look, I think the industry has spent the better part of the last five, if not 10 years, you know, focused on digital transformation. And for, I think, to a large extent, a lot of those efforts have focused on the high transaction volume or high volume interaction type processes like account opening, loan origination, customer support. Uh, what about the rest of the organization? What about all the knowledge workers? What about the people in marketing, the people in compliance, the people in uh, legal, the, 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 the people in IT? Um, what have they gotten out of this digital transformation in, in AI world? Not, not a lot, actually, um, until now. So there are use cases. I'll give you some examples of use cases that uh, financial institutions have been doing that kind of caught my eye. Um, one bank has kind of redesigned one of their product pages using ChatGPT and plugin tools. The tools identified the right search engine terms to use, identified the right uh, graphical images to use, actually created a form. And actually, I think it was either two to three minutes or two to three hours. I got to go look that up on uh, refresh my memory on that one, how long it actually was that it took the tools to create a new Web page that would have taken two to three people, two to three weeks to do. Uh, another example is HR using Ch ChatGPT and, and other generative AI tools um, to connect on LinkedIn and find potential candidates for open positions and actually reach out and um, uh, recruit them and carry on conversations. Um, so think of it as a, a proactive chatbot versus a reactive chatbot. Yeah. But there, you know, it's a lot more intelligence in that it's actually finding potential candidates. Uh, Chris Nichols, who runs the innovation group at South State Bank, has written a lot about this and a lot of great examples coming out of South State. One of the ones that uh, I thought was amazing is they used a tool called AutoGPT, Auto which is a, um, uh, a plugin that connects to a paid version of ChatGPT versus APIs. And what it does is it, um, it makes ChatGPT autonomous or at least semi-autonomous. And what, Chat, what uh, South State Bank did was use these tools uh, to basically execute a, a marketing campaign for health savings accounts. And so over the period of about three weeks, what um, AutoGPT did was first connected itself to an email marketing program, created two different versions of an email offer letter, and then went out into the market having used the, the connected to the, uh, the, the mailing list that the, uh, the, the bank has and uh, tested out these various offers. After a few days, they had enough responses to see which one was sort of the champion, which one was the challenger. 
And then over the, the period of another week or so, ran more tests of offers uh, to optimize how to personalize the offers, how to determine what the best um, incentives were in terms of not just price and fees, but things like time restraints and constraints. Uh, it learned autonomously what the what the best personalization um, elements were. And then after literally 22 days, had raised um, uh, $2 million, more than $2 million in HSA deposits uh, through their wow. tests. Now, the thing I, I don't, I hate to admit, but it's the honest truth of the matter is, is that this was all a simulation. And I can only imagine it was only a simulation because who the hell is going to trust AI right now? Who knew, you know, with all the errors, the hallucinations, the decline in performance um, between ChatGPT 3.5 and 4.0, you've, you've got to be a little bit crazy to just really put this out into the public right now. Who knew what, uh, you know, any of this was to produce? So, you know, most of the financial institutions that, I, that I've seen do it are still in test and experiment mode versus, you know, turn the switch on and, and let the damn thing run. And, and by the way, Jim, this is a, this is the, this is the, the tip of the iceberg on the the number of use cases that that are out there for this. Yeah, and it's interesting because, as you said, everybody's testing the waters, and, and you know we're, we're some of this imagining, some of this is, is testing things. I mean, I I'm testing it every day, and unfortunately, every day I test a new model. There's another tool that comes out that says, "Oh, this one can help you build presentations, or this one can improve your emailing." And it's another platform, and you go, "I I can't handle like seven or eight brand new programs. I can hardly handle PowerPoint, Word, and and uh, you know Excel." So I, I I only have so much brain power left. So you know, you know, from your perspective, and and because we're really at the beginning point of all this, how do you see generative AI transforming? the front end experiences. I know you gave some examples, but where do you see it to be deployed maybe at scale and, and specifically to, to really improve the consumer side of the experience? Okay, Jim, think about the user experience. And this is this is not just new to AI, but think about what the, the, the customer journey is um, somewhat generically. It's, it's four pieces. It's the acronym is FEND, F-E-N-D, if you need an acronym to help you remember things. So what do we do? First is we find providers of a particular product or service. Then we evaluate them. Then we may or may not negotiate prices, fees, and things like that. And then we deploy or buy, you know. And, and Now, over the past 25 years, basically, since Google came out, maybe even Yahoo back in the day as well, we've absolutely transformed the way consumers find providers. Yeah. Um, at the other end of the journey, you know, the past 10 years, uh, there, we still got a long ways to go. You constantly harp on this to financial institutions, rightfully so. Uh, but they have done a better job at the account opening side, both from a deposit and, and other types of products and loans and things like that. Loan, you know, loan application, digital loan application. So they're getting better on that. Um, but we still have a, a big hole in terms of how well these tools help us evaluate um, the existing tools, the existing sites and tools and things like that. Google has tried some things, you know, to help evaluate vendors. They, they actually took it off the market. It wasn't that good. And really, there's been nothing out there to help 
negotiate, optimize, that type of thing. Some things are kind of emerging, but it's it's in that middle piece of the journey, Jim. It's the evaluation and negotiation. And, you know, it's interesting because for a lot of us, we're not comfortable negotiating. And I don't just mean car prices with the car dealer. I mean, call in the bank and go, you know, I'm giving you a lot of money. Give me 2.5 instead of 2% or give me a better rate on the mortgage or, you know, do all of this. But um, there's a great example I like to use in a lot of my presentation. There's a guy, he's the CEO of a company called Do Not Pay. Uh, and let's get real. This is not your typical consumer. He's a programmer. He's a you know he's a he's a he's a technologist, and he's the CEO of a technology company. And I think it was pretty much a publicity stunt. But he went out and said, oh, "I'm going to turn over the management of my financial life to uh, generative AI tools." And well, the first thing he did was one of those "do not try this at home" things. He linked all of his accounts to generative AI tools through Plaid APIs. Not a not a thing I'd recommend to anybody. Right. And certainly not going to do it myself. But he had a he you know it was a marketing stunt. But after having done that, he then told the tools. All right, go out and find me a subscription that you can cancel. And it came back and said, "Well, we see you've got a Planet Fitness. You know, do you go? Do you want to?" He said, "Cancel that." And it went out and reached. You know, basically took care of the cancellation of the subscription for him. Then he told it, "Go find me an expense that I have incurred that you can get a refund for." So it came back and said, well, we see that you've um, you flew from New York to London and paid thirty five dollars for the Wi-Fi. Did it work? He said, nope. And so not only did it take care of uh, getting the refund, but it was interesting in how it did it. It it wrote a letter, an email letter to the uh, airline and actually cited the FCC regulations for unfair sales practices <laughs> oh, man. that you and I would probably never even thought of including in the letter. And it got him the $35 refund. And then he said, OK, go look at my bills and the expenses and um, you know, find me some money that you can get back. It came back and said, well, we found $50. We think we can get you off of your Comcast bill. Is that good? He said, no, go get more. And came back with another $50. So it got him $100. So, Jim, you know, think about the change in the customer experience now. You know, back in the days before a lot of our listeners here were even born, guys like you and I on a Saturday would would like groan and go, oh, shit, I got to spend the whole day calling insurance agents to find the best price for our car insurance. Yep. And then Google completely transformed that because we could find all the players, you know, within five minutes. But we still couldn't do a good job of evaluating. And we didn't do a very good job if we even did any negotiation at all. And now, of course, we can apply for all of that stuff online. But these AI tools, Jim, are taking over the total process for us. And there is a picture that I use in my presentations. And uh, it's a present. It's a picture that just that um, that uh draws a line between uh, those folks who are over 50 and those who are under 50. It's a picture of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Remember that Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I use that picture to, to say, this is where we're going. It's going to be your bots, the, the, the provider's bots versus our bots, the consumer's bots. And, you know, hey, got to give credit to Brett King. He wrote about this, what, seven, eight years ago in Augmented. Yep. You know, that it was it, everyone's going to have, you know, bots. And I think they're personalized bot. Exactly. 
And they're going to, you know, it's interesting because what you get into there is the value proposition as opposed to simply cost. So it will start to learn what you value and what you put to a high level, which makes it so generative AI will actually work because a consumer is going to be willing to give up information if they think they're going to get something of value in return. And again, it's not necessarily just dollars and cents. It may be time savings, it may be trust, it may be other elements. But as you mentioned the insurance example, I can tell you that I threw up my hands and just gave up on the whole Medicare situation. So I said, there's just no way I can figure this out. My wife took the process over, but it's it would be really a great use of generative AI and AI tools to help me make the decision as what's the best combination for the type of insurance I need, you know, dental or eyesight or whatever it may be, and get me not just the best rate, but a well-rated organization that can provide the the ability to get the add-ons for the insurance policy. So, you know, outside of the the experience, you know. Organizations are really grappling with legacy systems and infrastructure. How do you think generative AI will be integrated into existing technology stacks to improve the back office functions? Well, there's two ways. I, you know, I think over the next five to seven years, and probably even a little bit longer than that, you're going to see the providers of a lot of those, um, you know, process or functional area, of, you know, functional applications, integrate these kind of capabilities in, into the the core, into the ancillary systems. There's no question about that. But there'll still be instances of these technologies and tools that just access through APIs and access the data stores um, separately and won't be necessarily integrated into the core and into the ancillaries. You know, Jim, I think the big issue and question for, for a lot of technology providers and, and, for, and for financial institutions in particular is whose bots, whose platforms are consumers going to use to negotiate with the providers, right. bots, and platforms. You know, if you're a J.P. Morgan Chase customer, you don't want a J.P. Morgan Chase bot negotiating with J.P. Morgan Chase. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. And there's, you know, the, you raise the the issue about trust. So, you know, this is where the you know the vendors are all saying, oh yes, it's well, you know, we've got AI integrated today. Yeah, I'm not so sure. One of my colleagues, John Meyer, uh, not too long ago, the week before last. Yeah. Uh, had a post on LinkedIn where he said, yeah, if vendor tells you this, here are the seven, six or seven questions, whatever it is, to ask them to, to verify that. Great thing. Go go find that um, for everybody listening. Go take a look at those questions because that's what you want to ask vendors to make them prove that they really have. But five, five years down the line, maybe even a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter for some of them, they will get there with truly integrated. But it, it still is going to be a standalone tool for uh, a lot of people within the, the financial institutions. You know, that, that's a, that article you mentioned, it's on your LinkedIn site, by the way. Anybody goes to Ron Shevlin on LinkedIn, we'll see what he's referencing. There's actually, I think, nine questions that you should ask because you're right. You go up and down the, the floor at uh, Money 20 last week, and you realize that every single organization is saying the same thing. I, we have new, brand new uh generative AI tools that were deployed against the, our solutions. And, you know, it, it's crazy because that's not 
people can use that quote and they could prove that they're doing it, but there's massive differences in the levels of doing that. And, and that's going to take some time to, to shake out, you know, who's actually deploying it in the way that I want it deployed as a partner. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Bank to Transform. So I'm joined today by Ron Shevlin, Chief Research Officer at Cornerstone Advisors. We've been exploring whether financial institutions should hit the gas and embrace generative AI or pump the brakes a little bit with and proceed with caution. So Ron, you, right before the break, we talked about the questions you should probably ask your, your solution providers. They say, oh, we have generative AI tools. You know, going beyond that, going beyond what the vendor may be trying to sell you, another concern that every financial institution is worried about is bias and fairness. How are financial institutions trying to work to ensure that these AI models will actually be ethical and free of bias? Well, uh, first of all, let's make sure we're talking about the same thing, Jim, because so far in this discussion, we've really been focused a lot on generative AI tools and yeah. technologies. And when I, I recently did, a, a moderated a panel discussion at Boston FinTech Week, which by the way, is a great event you, everybody should be going to next year. Uh, this was the topic of discussion was generative AI, and one of the panelists started raising issues and concerns around bias and fairness and all of that. And at that point, it kind of hit me. Well, wait a second, are we talking about machine learning or are we talking about generative AI? And I, I had another discussion with other folks, and I said, I I, I don't think that the fairness and bias issue is as built into generative AI tools as it is machine learning type approaches because I mean that's generally focused on things like um, you know uh, lending type things. But on the other hand, let's go back to the South State uh, Bank example of the of the the uh, the marketing campaign that it ran, and I'm sure that one of the reasons it it did not actually you know launch that in real life versus just uh, through you know virtual and uh, a test um, was that there could have been bias in terms of the types of offers or the language that was used or the level of personalization or the or the elements of personalization that were were incorporated in there so look the the key thing from a financial institution perspective with all of this is that the whole, you know, the root cause of any of this bias or any potential bias and unfairness is the data. And I, I don't know that there's any easy answer to, to doing this. Now, how are firms doing this? Well, there's an emerging um, number of companies that are coming out under various names. Um, one of the labels I, I kind of like, and we'll see if it sticks, is fairness as a service. Of course, everything is you know as a service these days. But there are a couple <laughs> exactly. of firms that that come under that banner. Um, 
I'm forgetting the names of some of them. Uplink is a great example of companies that are doing that. And, and ensuring that there's a broader set of data that is infused into the decision-making process. Um, but again, it's, it's you know, not clear to me that um, that's as much of an issue with generative AI as it is with machine learning that's fueling a lot of the underwriting and, and lending decisions. Yeah. Okay, so we were in Nashville together a few weeks ago. And in your presentation, you started with the whole concept or the discussion around whether or not generative AI or AI overall would replace you, me, and everybody else who's listening to the podcast. What was your takeaway from that? Because I know you, we look at how we're using it, you go, geez, you know, this is getting closer and closer to the way I do things. But do you see this really, at least in the near term, being something that's going to replace workers, enhance workers, or actually add jobs? Um, I putting my money on enhance um, productivity and enhance. Uh, you know, Jim, I'm fond of saying over the past couple of weeks that ChatGPT is to 2023 what Lotus 123 was to 1983. <laughs> And for, for those uh, of you who were born after 1983, it wasn't fun. Yeah, but scary. Um, yeah, and I, I say that at, 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 in presentations and generally I get the eye roll. It's like, oh, God, here's the, the old guy telling me about the old days again. But but there is, a I think, a valid reference here in that. Look, when Lotus 123 was released, and by the way, you, as you know, it was not the first spreadsheet on the market nope. that... Uh, that honor goes went to VisiCalc, but when Lotus was introduced, one, two, three, uh, it immediately gained a huge uh, amount of adoption and utilization. And what it did was automated a lot of manual stuff that that people were doing. Um, you know, we could finally put down our HP calculators and how to write down all those numbers. But people actually use Lotus 123 to do things like database management. And believe it or not, they actually used it for word processing as well. But there were some problems. There was a lack of quality. People would hard code errors into formulas. There was very little documentation and transparency into the, the spreadsheets. And there was also very little consistency in how the tool was being used within an organization. And that's very similar to ChatGPT today. Um, there's a lot of errors because of hallucinations, uh, very little documentation and, and uh, transparency into what was being asked and what are the, the sources of information, which of course leads to a lot of these hallucinations, and very little consistency in terms of how the tool is being used today. But just as Lotus evolved to start to uh, incorporate a lot of the plugins that were available. I think that's what will happen with ChatGPT and some of the other competitors that are emerging. Well, that the and so, you know, for a good period here of at least five to ten years, at least, you know, what we're looking at is a lot more about productivity enhancement yep. than job loss. But I think there's another aspect to this, Jim, that is really super important. It's not just productivity enhancements; it is about creativity enhancement. It is about, you know, getting to new things faster. Um, uh, and, you know, our, our friends, JP Nichols and, and Jason Henricks, who've done a lot of work with innovation over the last few years. When I started writing about this, I reached out to, to Jason and I said, look, you're going to hate me for this, but I can handle it. And I said, this innovation stuff is BS. You know, all this going out and, you know, trying to juice up the creativity and let's do some innovation exercises. Jim, 
total waste of time. When you can go to a chat GPT and say, you know, give me some ideas about this. And the ideas are never implementable and deployable, but what they are, are uh, spurs to make you think about what's potential. My wife is always on my case. Hey, why don't you get chat GPT to write your blog posts? I'm like, well, it wouldn't be my exactly. blog post. She goes, well, then tell it to write it in the f- style of Ron Shevlin. It doesn't work. But what it does do when I ask it that is it gives me ideas. Yep. Um, and it's not just about artistic ideas and things like that. The, the innovation is about problem solving. And by having better access to the, the disparate data sources in an organization, uh, I think it's going to help people be more creative about problem solution and getting their jobs done. So, uh, you know, definitely see this a lot more in the next 10 years as a co-pilot than as a, you know, it, it, it augments us. It does not replace us. You know, it's us. very interesting you should say that because I've done the same thing with my Monday articles for the financial brand. And what I found was it eliminates writer's block. It, it's amazing how it does it because if you get a starting point, you then can write around it and you say, oh, geez, I, I missed that little thing that was around the corner that I may not have brought up. Or, geez, you know what? The thing I was thinking was not nearly as important as I look at it from another perspective. So, you know, very much like you would say, hey, try to see if you can't write me the article on this, that, or the other thing. And somebody comes back and you go, okay, it's not me. It's not the way I would put out. But you brought some very good points here. And that's where it's important. Also, the ability to combine insights from multiple sources you know there's a, a thing called claude ai c-l-a-u-d-e ai dot ai that can take multiple pdfs from across the industry look at it pull the major insights out and provide it to you now that helps me because it what that does it speeds up the process of what i do in my writing but it's still me writing it. You know, I also use for a podcast. I'll I'll say I'm I'm interviewing Ron Shevlin on on generative AI and ChatGPT. You know, g- give me ten questions that you think I should ask, and I'll ask multiple um, generative AI uh, platforms the same thing. What it does, eight out of ten, seven out of ten, are ones I would have asked. But there may be one, two, or three that that not only are maybe a brand new question, but a better wording of the question. So again, it's, it's looking and saying, okay, I wouldn't mind another set of eyes looking over my shoulder. So Ron, we talk about this all the time and we've, we've had debates about it. We've had um, sessions on it where we've worked together in a um, partner in the Finterruption at MX two years ago. You know, we as an industry and as, as executives tend to sometimes go for the next shiny object. And it's not like financial institutions need another priority because they have so much on the table. How does generative AI and, and ChatGPT work and fit into the list of immediate priorities that financial institutions have today? Jim, financial institutions are focused a lot right now because of the economic situation on cost reduction. Yep. And I do think that there is a, an opportunity to reduce cost 
I don't actually think it's necessarily through through firing people and payroll reduction as it is in reducing third party expenses that are that are being incurred today. Uh, you know, for example, you know, ChatGPT with some plugins can, can do a good job of creating code, debugging it. One financial institution was using it to, to port data from one data model to another, something that probably would have taken them half a million or maybe even a million dollars to do through consulting services. And we're able to do it with about $1,500 worth of ChatGPT expenses. So, you know, it's about uh, not firing people to get the job reduction, but finding out we are aware that that third party expenses. And I can only imagine um, my boss is hearing this now and going, wait, you're telling people to use ChatGPT to reduce consulting yeah. expenses? I'm like, yeah, but not our consulting revenue, you know, other firms consulting re revenue. Um, but that's, you know, where, where the opportunities are. Um, it's about making people faster and better. Yep. And so uh, there's this opportunity to kind of reduce expenses, but it isn't in terms, it, it's not from, you know, reducing headcount. That's not where the, I think the cost savings are going to come from. But, it, you know, it's, it's a productivity enhancer. And that's where uh, a lot of firms should be looking to figure out how do they make the best use of it. And finally, you know, one thing you're you're known for, something you take great pride in, I know, is to bring practical solutions to the marketplace. You, you get snarky about it at times, but you, 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 you call bullshit on things. So looking in the crystal ball, what do you think the future holds for generative AI and financial services? And more importantly, what should financial leaders do today to prepare for it? Yeah, Jim, thanks for teeing that up. I, you know, a lot of the hype around this uses the term revolutionary and game changing and all of that kind of stuff. And I guess that, guess that makes for good press. But I actually really see this as very evolutionary, building on a lot of things that have happened. Look, AI has been around for about 30, yeah. 40, maybe even 50 years at this point. And a lot of the true experts in the technology, and I say true experts because somebody asked me at a conference recently, oh, you're going to talk about AI. You're an AI expert? And I'm like, well, actually, no, I'm not an AI expert, but um, I'd like to think that I'm pretty good at understanding the impact of technology on business. And that's the angle I take. Um, but, you know, one of the things that the, the true AI experts don't get is that the reason there's so much hype today is because we needed what has happened over the past 40 years to set this up. And so there have been a wave, there have been waves, sorry, waves of productivity improvements over the last 40 years that started with the introduction of PCs. And you remember back then, you know, there were a lot of executives who said, I'm never going to touch a keyboard. Now everybody touches a keyboard. Uh, but, you know, what a lot of folks don't remember is that when PCs first came out, they were actually not connected. There was there was sneakerware and was sneakerware because we used to take floppy disks from one PC and go run it over to another PC, stick it in there to, 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 to load up the data. Uh, and then local area networks came around and they tied them together and we gained a new level of productivity. Then the internet came around and we basically went from local area networks to one big global area network. Uh, but, you know, we were still missing a lot of data because a lot of stuff happened outside of the home and outside of our desks. So that's when mobile devices really became uh, a source of, of new data. 
And now we've got uh, generative AI tools that are drawing upon all of the technologies, the tools, and more importantly, the data that have been generated by all of these realms and, and waves of productivity. So it's is it, is it revolutionary and game-changing? Yeah, I guess if you want it to be, but I really think this is an evolution in productivity enhancement. And what the what leaders have to do today is twofold. Number one, figure out and understand um, where the, the shorter term and longer term opportunities are for not just process improvement and process enhancement, but uh, job productivity, individual task productivity from a knowledge worker perspective. But more and just as importantly, providing the, the bumpers, the guardrails for the use of these tools, because a uh, you know you you need the you need good data to draw to drive these capabilities, um, but you have to be careful about what data is being used and how it's being used, and that I think is one of the big breaks on, on all of this right now. Is that a lot of executives are concerned with well you know we don't want our data uploaded to ChatGPT blah 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 blah. Um, and that's a valid concern, although it's still not even clear to me whether or not ChatGPT saves any of that data or right. uses it. But, um, you know, providing, gov you know, determining governance policies, prioritization, and, you know, figuring out the balance between stepping on the gas pedal and stepping on the brakes. Um, I think that's that's the big challenge that a lot of executives uh, are going to face over the next. You five know, it's years. funny. I was going to ask you that question, saying that you know, reference our our headline on the session, our episode. Do you hit the gas or do you pump the brake? But I think what you just said was more importantly, better, more important than either one of those is use the GPS system. You know, use the data that's available to you to get to your destination as efficiently as possible. And that sets your priorities. So, Ron, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, as you know, you're you're our, uh, our most popular guest. We've had you on the most time of any other any guest, and you're also um, you have some of the top uh, episodes we've had both on YouTube as well as on the podcast channel. So, thank you so much for spending some time and give us a little bit of an update on what happened at Money 2020. Absolutely, glad to be here, Jim. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking and the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we have received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review or maybe five stars. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Chris Fafalias, and video producer, Will Pritz. If you've not already done so, remember to subscribe to Banking Transform on both your favorite podcast app and on our YouTube channel for more thought-provoking discussions at the intersection of finance, technology, and innovation. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep innovating and transforming. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. 
You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.